0: So I don't know if you've ever been hiking in an area where uh, maybe a mountainous area or um, in an area where you're able to hike um, or walk long enough to get tired enough that when you come upon something like a a fresh water spring, I mean, it's a real delight to your eyes. It's not just something that is neat to see. But, but you see it and you're sort of overjoyed, overjoyed. I don't know if that's overstating it or not, but you're filled with great joy, knowing that you're tired, you're worn down, <coughs> excuse me, you're sweaty, and that life-giving spring will rejuvenate you. It will give life to your body again. It will satisfy your thirst, and it just feels so refreshingly cool as it goes down. This is the picture we see in Psalm 119 for God's people. Psalm 119 is positioned in the center of your Bible. It focuses on the beautiful, refreshing, life giving water of the Word of God. And it shows that God's Word, indeed the whole Bible, is life giving and rejuvenating for your soul. The Word of God, the whole Bible, is intended to be the very center of our lives, as this psalm is the center of the Word of God. So go ahead and tap, if you will, or open your Bible to Psalm 119. They'll get the lights going. There we are. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your work on that. Uh, psalm 119 stands out as a, a, it's a giant among the psalms. Right? Augustine said he wouldn't preach through Psalm 119 until he preached through all the psalms. And even then he was hesitant. Some, some believe that you shouldn't really preach on the Psalms because it's a song book, just meant to be song, not, song, not preached on. I don't subscribe to that, but it's been uh, uh, one of the things that people have believed over time. It's a, it's a giant among the Psalms also for its size. The length of the Psalm. Aren't you glad we're not preaching through entire chapters in a single sermon? <laughs> Even covering 16 verses feels like a lot this morning, but um, it's an acrostic, right? So where every line, every new line begins with a letter, a similar letter in that al- in the alphabet, right? Um, you might think of a sermon that has alliteration. I don't do a lot of alliteration, but some sermons, some pastors use uh, alliteration in their sermons one way of helping people remember points and things like that. So you'll see at the top of verse one, for example, uh, you might have a chapter heading in your Bible. Um, Those are often in bold. It would be above the word um, Aleph, A-L-E-P-H there. It's important to remember things like chapter headings are additions to scripture in order to help us kind of be able to flip through the Bible and quickly find what we're looking for, right? They're helps for us. Chapter numbers, again, not in the original texts. Verse numbers, not in the original texts. But here, the Hebrew alphabet is in the original Hebrew text. The psalmist is writing here to help his people remember well the full character of God, the, the, the fullness of what he aims to communicate in these 176 verses. So, so 26 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, each having eight verses, each of them two lines long, each of those couplets or set pair of lines begins with the letter of that Hebrew alphabet. Now, we don't see that in the English. Uh, so that part of it is lost on us to help us memorize it or remember it. But uh, it is, uh, it's good for us to re- remember that words like like aleph and, and, and bet, which we see looks like beth there in the Psalms, uh, also, words like um, Selah, which are written in some psalms, which are there to, to, re- to remind us to kind of pause and reflect on what we're reading. Maybe a musical uh, interlude would have come at that point. Those kinds of things are in the original text. And so it's just a good reminder for us to remember uh, what's in the original text for what versus what is added as helps for us uh, after the fact. So... Um, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon called this psalm, uh, the alphabet of divine love. The paradise, he sure has a way with words. The paradise of all doctrines, the storehouse of the Holy Spirit, the school of truth. Also the deep mystery of the scripture where the whole moral discipline of all the virtues shines brightly. What a description of this incredible chapter in our Bibles, with the exception of only a few couplets, only a, um, three to five, depending on what translation uh, you would be reading, la- don't have the word uh, law or synonyms that we refer to the law of God, which I'll go through so- several of uh, in a few minutes here. It's not necessarily, as David wrote this, not necessarily related to something specific that David went through other than his, his, uh, the fullness of his life experience of walking with God. Right? Um, it's related to where it's placed in the Psalms and how the Israelites would have sung it, when they would have sung it, kind of uh, as a bookend to Psalm 111 through 118 uh, and, and the second bookend there. But as David is writing it, it's not necessarily connected to one of his particular experiences, right? Think of, think of somebody with a, uh, with a uh, reporter's notebook, uh, right? Or they pull out their phone and as they're going through life, they're just making notes, right? Creating a little journal, a little diary, right? This would be often called David's pocketbook or the royal diary. And from the youngest in this room to the oldest, we do well to listen very, very clearly to all that Psalm 119 has to say. My title this morning is The Undivided Heart, and I think you'll see it repeatedly as we move throughout this passage this morning. Read with me Psalm 119. We'll read verses 1 through 16. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now keep, out, keep an eye out for words that represent the law, but are not the word law exactly. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want a kid. Say that verse with me. Ready? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist is telling us here that pure joy, pure happiness is found by cultivating love for the Lord through obedience to his word. Don't, don't miss that. Love for the Lord is not merely cultivated by knowing God's word. Love for the Lord is cultivated By obedience to God's Word. The more we're obedient to God in His Word, the more we live out of love for Him, and the more our love for Him grows. Our vision at Oak Grove is to reach, to teach, and to live out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. This folds very well within Psalm 119. Our first point this morning is uh, living out of God's Word brings joy or blessing, greatest delight, or happiness. Living out of God's word brings pure blessing, joy, delight, greatest happiness. This is a very similar psalm to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked, not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. But for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friend, the law of the Lord is good, Because God is good. When you question, kids, when you question whether your mom and dad are giving you a a good command or a a good uh, direction, a good instruction, and you don't want to do it, you might ask this question, do my parents love me? Of course my parents love me. I don't want to do this, but because I know they love me, I'm going to do it because... I believe that they want what's good for me. So you can glorify God. Seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 18-year-old. You can glorify God by washing dishes, by cleaning your room, by turning your screens off at the time your parents tell you to turn your screens off. You're welcome. (laughs) How can that be glorifying to God? Well, because God says, Children, honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you in the land, that you may live long in the land and prosper. It's the first commandment with a promise. You want to live a long time? Obey your mom and dad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you know your parents love you, when you know, church, that your heavenly father loves you, We begin to see his law, his rules with a new appreciation. To be reminded that our good God has given us good instructions because that is what is best for his children. Nobody wants to follow somebody who who has no confidence in what they're saying. When God gives us a command, it comes with authority, because he's the ultimate authoritative one, right? You don't, you don't want to work for someone. You don't want to follow someone who's not really sure of where they're going. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how he's working to redeem people for himself. He knows exactly how the circumstances in your life that make it challenging for you to obey a particular precept or principle or law or rule or command, or keep going with synonyms, That your obedience, your faith-filled obedience to that particular command, when it seems like it just does not make sense to you, is best not only for you, but for those who have their eye on you. For how your obedience to God's commands will both help you love God more and more as you see his good commands and love for you, and how that will influence those around you. God knows he commanded it. He decreed it to be exactly that way. So there's several synonyms, several of them we see even, even today, the word law, the word testimonies, right? It's, it's like to bear witness about who God is and what he's done. It it points to the dependability of the Bible as the resource that we live our lives out of. The word ways, not W-A-Z-E for directions, but W-A-Y-Z. I mean W-A. So figure out how to spell W-A-Y-S. The ways of the Lord, right? It refers to the characteristic ways in which God has act acted. His precepts, it comes from the idea of to to oversee or to pay close attention to a certain matter. One commentator, Derek Kidner, points out that precepts points to a particular instruction of the Lord as one who cares about the detail. Statutes conveys the idea of permanent, something that is engraved, seems like a statute. There's a binding force, there's a permanence to the word of God, to the scriptures, commandments God commands because he's authoritative and he can command whatever he wants and it's our job to submit ourselves to him whether or not we think he's good it's our job it's our mission on this earth to submit to him but we do so gladly because we know he's good we know he's good we know he's gracious judgments are ordinances These judgments that flow out of God's character. The word word is used in a couple different ways throughout faithfulness, righteousness, the name of God. These are all different kinds of synonyms that we see throughout Psalm 119. So God has given us his law to be known and to be obeyed. You can't obey it if you don't know it. And so God gave it to us in order to know it so that we can obey it. It became a a, a way, it kind of became like shorthand for referring to whatever God's commanded. The law of the Lord is perfect. Everything that God has said. But the the phrase law of the Lord, it can refer to uh, the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You'll see in the book of Hebrews, the law of Moses, referring to the Ten Commandments, but also to the Torah. But even as early as the book of Psalms, the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord became known as sort of shorthand for whatever it is that God has told us, whatever it is that God has told his people. We, we, we need to hear God's word so that we can know it, but it's never just an exercise in learning. Everybody listen here for a minute. It is not a textbook for a living. Sometimes we refer to uh, the word of God as a manual, like a marriage manual. I, I wrote a small little article recently on marriage and I referred to it as a manual for living, but we dare not study it like we just need to study it to pass a test like uh, you might for driver's ed. And then now you've got your permit and so you can forget whatever's in it, right? And then just learn through life experience. That is not the way to go, nor is it the way to go with God's word. We need to to read it so we can hear it, so we can know it, so we can obey it. It is always connected, listen here, friends, not just to knowing information about God, but to knowing God personally. Knowing God personally comes through knowing his word and obeying his word. See, if you just know God's word, but you don't obey it, you don't actually know God. You know about God. But as you obey it, you are also one who gives testimony that he's faithful. Not that the Christian life is easy. No, but that God is faithful. And so he's given us this law to be known. He's given us this law to be obeyed. I love what happens in, in uh, Timothy when Paul is training up this young pastor, Timothy. right In 1 Timothy and in 2 Timothy, when Paul's mentoring him, he, he encourages him and he refers to what he had learned and practiced past tense. He's talking about when Timothy was younger and as Timothy's grown up under the word. Right? He says, "But as for you, first Timothy or second Timothy 3:14, as for you continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from her whom you learned it." This isn't just Paul's way of giving props to himself here. He's saying you learned this from your mother and from your grandmother. Remember all of the things that they taught you in the sacred scriptures. And how from childhood, verse 15, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture, breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. What a great promise that Paul gives Timothy here, that God's word has what he needs, needs not only for salvation, but is profitable for every good work. Do you know, Paul is largely referring to the Old Testament scriptures here. Paul is largely referring to the Old Testament sacred writings in this New Testament text that tells us that God's word is, is sufficient, that God's word is enough for salvation and for every good work. Good is a synonym for righteous. God is good. God is righteous. Every good work, God's word, the Old Testament scriptures are profitable. Now, some New Testament scriptures were being written at this time. So surely, surely Paul's referring also to some writings from Luke, the historian, and from some of Paul's earlier letters, even but most certainly he's referring primarily to the Old Testament scriptures. As we read all of the Bible, the Bible progressively reveals God to his people. And if we don't pay close attention to what we're shown in the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch about God's character and the way God works with his people that we will miss out on. Now, certainly some things have changed as we've moved into the new covenant. But in order to appreciate what has changed in the new covenant, we need to have a a firm grasp on what's happened in the old covenant. To walk in the law of the Lord is is to walk with God and receive blessing. Right? When a person loves the Lord, they 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 love and they delight to do what God says because they love the Lord. I love the Lord. He pulled me out of the miry pit. Hallelujah. Praise God. I want to live my life for him. He saved me when I deserved nothing. While I deserved even today judgment from God, he saved me. How do I know? What father would give his own son just to pull the rug out from under you? I don't think so. It doesn't square. More importantly that it doesn't square. God says so. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. God has demonstrated his love by laying down his life through giving himself through the person and work of Jesus. First John 5, 2, which we studied recently, right? By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So you might ask a question, well, do I love God's people? Well, we've been, we've been saying tests, ways you can understand, ways you can ask yourself those questions. You can sort of validate whether or not you're walking with the Lord. Oh, I don't mean if you're coming to church on Sunday, but whether or not you're, you're living a life that is being poured out for the body of Christ out of love for the Lord. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments and I will ask The Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and he will be in you. Paul Tripp says that the Holy Spirit unzips you and steps inside and then animates you. I love that. It's just a great, helpful word picture. You might later on this afternoon uh, read Deuteronomy 28. You see a very clear depiction of follow me faithfully and you will receive blessings. Do not obey me and you will receive curses. Kind of squirm in on our seats a little bit. The principle of blessings and curses is a very real biblical principle. And sometimes we say, Why is my life hard? Why are these things happening? Well, are they all God's judgment or di- discipline? I would say not necessarily. Because Jesus received lots of hardship, he never disobeyed, he never needed discipline. But he was trained through it. The Bible says he was made complete through what he learned through his obedience. So God reveals himself so that we may have the greatest joy of knowing him. I want to ask you to just think for a minute, think back whether it's uh, an hour or five years or longer. What are some things that you have learned about God that confirm or are affirmed by the word of God, not just your speculation about God, but what's affirmed in the word of God that you've learned about God that has that drawn your heart nearer to God. Ways that you've seen God provide for you, ways that you've seen God teach you, ways that you've seen God work in relationships that you know could not have happened by you and you alone. Ways that you've seen God prove himself over and over and over again that you would say, I love him more now than I did an hour ago. Because I'm learning more about him. And I'm learning that he is faithful and always true. David prays this beautiful prayer. We see it in in verse 5. He says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. And then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. And then he commits himself to it. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. I will keep your statues. He first, he confesses that he's not where he wants to be. But he wants to be. He wants to be what he should be. He wants to be who he should be. I have areas in my life where I have committed over and over and over again, and I've struggled with some sins Repeatedly. And I'll make a commitment. I'll say, I'm not there yet, but I'm going to try again by God's grace. I've prayed prayers. I've said, Lord, I am not sure if I'm repentant. I don't know. Here I am again. But say it, I'm going to try. Today, motivated by your grace, motivated by a desire to live the way that you've called me to, to be most equipped, to be most able to do the work of the ministry of the gospel. I'll strive again. I'll strive again. David says, I'm not there yet, but I want to be. I will keep your statutes. The more we know God through his word, the more we praise him with an upright heart. When we're walking in fellowship with him, we praise him with an upright heart, with a a clean heart. The psalmist says, who shall ascend to the holy hill? hill? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The New Testament talks about lifting up holy hands to the Lord. It's not a song about, uh, it's not a psalm, it's not a passage or a verse about coming in and raising your hands and singing praise to the Lord. The focus is on, sure, lift your hands, raise your hands to the Lord if you want when you worship in in song or at other times as well. But the song is talking about having holy hands, lifting up holy hands, those who are not doing wrong to others, those who are seeking to, to live by and abide by God's law imperfectly, however imperfectly it may be. I strive to praise God with an up right heart and the more i know god the more i obey god the more i'm able and free to praise god with an upright heart some of you may come in here week after week and you might say you know what the temperature's not right the music's not right i don't like this song the sermon is really bad today i don't like what he wore today i promise you friends the problem is not with the music the temperature the service maybe the sermon might be with me you're right Yes, it's with you. It's with me, is what she means, right? Amen. I will praise you with an upright heart. The Bible calls us to holiness and exposes our sin. The Bible calls us to what we cannot accomplish on our own, leading us to fall more deeply in love. The The word in love is maybe a little nervous to say that like this, but to deeply love the Lord, our God more and more, because we, what we cannot do, he has accomplished for us so that we can do what he has called us to do and equipped us to do and animates us to do. And he knows he's not there, but he commits himself to it. Will you commit yourself to it? I mean, every one of us in this room would say, no, I I know I'm not there. I'm asking if you'll commit yourself to it or if you're going to forever live in the lie that because you're not there, committing yourself to it is not worth it. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't know how to lead my family in in worship at home or, or in reading and teaching the Bible to my kids at home because I don't know the Bible very well. Well, you don't have to know it very well, friend, to open it up and read it. Open it up. Read it. Let the church support you. Let the church help you. Let the church come alongside of you. Not drag you along because you don't ever feel qualified. None of us is qualified. And yet day after day, we open up the scriptures and we pour over them. And we say, I'm not there but I want to be there. And with David, I'll commit my heart to it. We find pure joy and happiness by cultivating love for the Lord through obedience to his word. Obedience is made possible by being transformed through renewing our mind according to God's word. We see that, as you'll see in a minute, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, but we'll also see it here as well. I want to just encourage you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, questions and answers. There are great books out there. I can direct you to some if you need some help for them, but questions and answers is a great way to teach your kids about the Lord. David does it here. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to to your word david commits himself to the word philip henry which is matthew henry's father is known to have said all grace grows as love to the word of god grows i love that all grace grows as love to the word of god grows verse 10 with my whole heart i seek you let me not wander from your commandments When the Hebrews wrote and and spoke, they they spoke in terms of uh, of, uh, like a subjective experience rather than objective scientific observation. And it prevented them from this sort of false compartmentalizing or departmentalization of who they were. You see this, this rich language where term after attribute after attribute after attribute is piled up to describe the person, for example. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It's a way of saying with all of who you are, everything about you or inside of you, with all of it, with all of you, love the Lord your God. So rather than speaking of man in like three parts, four parts, really mankind has two parts, an inner man and an outer man, a soul and a body, right? We often think of the mind as a separate entity in and of itself, but the mind is part of the brain. The mind, our thinking capacity would be equivalent to our heart, our reasoning capacity, which is part of that immaterial part of us is connected to the material part of our body, our brain, which is physical and under right circumstances can be seen. The heart, it's that which makes a man or a beast, the Hebrews would have said, is... is, is what he is. It governs all of his actions. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart for from it flow the springs of life. Right? So character, personality, will, mind. These are all modern terms that reflect that same general idea. Paul Tripp describes the heart as the causal core of one's personhood. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, four through seven. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Parents, we can't just tell our children about the Lord. We can't just teach them about the Bible. Each and every one of us must live in it with our children. It's never too late to begin. Say, so when my kids are already 17, that's okay. In fact, sometimes a great way to begin, and I don't mean that it's not fraught with problems. A great way to begin is, you know, we haven't done this for a long, long time. Maybe never. But the Lord is just convicting me that we need to spend more time as a family opening up the word together. So we're going to do that. We're going to open it up and we're going to read part of the Bible today. If you're not used to doing it, if you have littles at home, little kiddos, just start small. It's not a competition or a contest or a certain pace that God requires of us for reading through the Bible. Husbands, Every man in this room, if you're married, I don't care if you've been married for a year or 60 years. God calls you to lead in it. And you can do it. Well, I'm not a great reader. That's okay. I pray that you won't let your pride for reading well stop you from leading your family to love God through his word. I don't mean to be harsh, but it's what it comes down to, my pride. Or say, babe, we need to read the word today. I'm going to read the first sentence, verse, whatever. Will you take it from there? That is equally as glorifying to God and more glorifying than saying, I don't read well and I don't like reading and I'm bored with the Bible, so we're just not going to do it. Now, I'm not saying that if you're not in that pattern that those are all of your thoughts. Certainly, I don't know your hearts. I don't know what your thoughts are. What I want to encourage you to is saying today is the day. Sunday, January 22nd, 2023, the day that I'm going to open my Bible with my family. With my wife. And we're going to read a little piece together. Not sure where to start? Read one little section from Psalm 119. Take the day of the month and read that proverb. 29th day of the month, Proverbs 29 it is. Plenty of ways to do it. Ways to accomplish it, helps to get you there, are not usually the problem. So with David, let's say, I'm not there, but I want to be. Ladies, if your husband is not leading out in it, lead out in it. Ask him if he wants to join you respectfully. Right? It never goes well when, when someone says, well, since you don't open the Bible for our family, I guess I'm going to have to do it. Are you going to stay here with us? Or are you just going to leave and do your normal thing and I'll just lead this family? I think I know what he's going to choose. (laughs) Hey, hon, we're going to read the Bible. You want to read with us? I'm happy to read. You can just listen. That'd be great. What a gracious way of starting the conversation. What an honoring way to say we love God and he reveals himself through his word. You want to join me in it? Let's love him through his word together in order to cultivate your heart we must truly treasure this joy of God's word. Surely friends, those of us who have served in Awana throughout the years, I have stored up your heart that I might not sin against thee. Surely, surely there's more motivation to us than a twenty-five trinket. Surely that's not why we want to have them memorize the Bible when they're kiddos. Motivation? Sure. A help? Sure. Absolutely. May not be that when they leave Iwana, we stop memorizing the Bible because I don't get to go to the Iwana store once a month. Or because as adults we say, oh, I'm not great at memorizing scripture. Because I know some of you know everything there is to know about hunting season in this and every neighboring state. I know some of you know everything about how to cook, and memorized recipes. And you know how? Repetition and effort. Nothing magical about it. Just a little at a time. Notice this language that Paul, he talks about treasuring it. I've stored up your word. I delight as much as in all riches, verse 14. I I fix my eyes, he says. I will fix my eyes. And he says, I will delight Again in verse 16, and then he says, I will not forget. Jesus in Matthew 13 compared it to a treasure hidden in a field, comparing the kingdom to a a treasure hidden in a field with which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. You want to worship God? Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, you can renew your mind without loving God's word, you see? Loving God's word, which is a a desire from the decision core center of who you are, causes you to want to renew your mind and your heart with God's word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God is. Do you really want pure, pure joy and happiness? I mean, that's a real question. Jesus asked the man at the gate when he called out to him and he said, do you want to be well? Of course I want to be well. You might be thinking, what a ridiculous question, Pastor Matt. Do I want to? be happy no no no. i said do you want pure happiness do you want the right happiness the right blessedness the right joy i mean you can allow your weekly patterns to help you answer that question do your patterns show that you do if not Brother, sister, there is no need to feel condemnation in here this morning. That's not the point of challenge. That's not the point of hard statements. The point is to bring all of us by the power of the word of God through the inner working of the Holy Spirit to a point of loving conviction. So that we can make a turn. You just confess, acknowledge the Lord. Lord, I'm not wanting the right things. And I confess. He's already paid the price. He's not looking down on you. He wants to help you call out to him. God, I confess, I repent. Well, we cultivate that love. We cultivate that love through obedience in the word. Pretend you're on that hike up through the mountains. And you come to a point where there's a a spring and also another pool of water there. You've got a choice. You can you can go to this pool of water that's stagnant. It doesn't have an inlet and an outlet, and and it's it's stagnant. And there's bacteria there. There's a little bit of mud there. There's algae growing in there. And you think, can I, I want to drink that? I mean, maybe if you're dying. But on the other side is a fresh spring. Clean because the water is always flowing. Life-giving because it's pure. Natural springs of life-giving water. Drink deeply, friends. Drink deeply. (sighs)